Maybe you're at a loss for meaningful, life-giving words these days. Not information or arguments or agendas, but wonder and hope that meet your empathetic and curious faith with a fresh word. We are a guild of pastors always rooted in ancient text, but friendly to laughter, art, sarcasm, and a bit of sacrilege. Wander with us while our perspectives, our attitudes, and our faith are altered for a new generation of being the church. We are Alter Guild. We are Alter Guild. We are Alter Guild. We are Alter Guild. When Derek mentioned that the first verse of the Christmas story is like a Game of Thrones episode, I had no idea what he was talking about. I mean, sure, Caesar is at the helm of the Roman Empire, cocky and confident, counting his people like chips at a poker table. And Herod is there too, doing the empire's bidding. But that's just the tip of the political iceberg. I asked Derek to make sense of that loaded verse and to explain the context that Luke's original audience would have known so well. It took a lot of convincing. Derek is shy and history makes him miserable. Just kidding, he lives for this stuff and his enthusiasm is contagious. I know you're going to enjoy this episode that unravels 1,000 years of dramatic political history in less than 15 minutes. Buckle up. For me, one of the most interesting stories in the Christmas story is Luke 2 verse 1. And it's one of those verses that when you read it, you just skip over it because it just seems so inconsequential, right? Like in those days... There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Like, nobody cares about that verse. Everyone wants to get to the good stuff. You want to get to the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and the cute animals. But to me, that's one of the most interesting parts of the story, but it's all because of the background. So, All I know about that verse is that it reminds me that the Roman Empire is in the shadows and that this is the first census, right? Yes, absolutely. And what's cool about it is, I mean, there is a legit Game of Thrones episode before we get to the Christmas story. Okay, so so, so basically it goes like this. You know, you have this golden age where the people have their country, they're independent. You have David and Solomon. After Solomon dies, they go through this terrible period where the country splits in two, and because the country is split in two, all of these different empires keep coming in and taking them over. The Assyrians come in, the Babylonians come in, and then finally, Alexander the Great comes in. The thing about Alexander is he basically wants to make the entire world Greek. It's, it's kind of like McDonald's. You know, you could go to a McDonald's in Minneapolis or Tokyo or London and you're going to get the same Big Mac. That's basically what Alexander wanted to do with the world. He wanted it so that if you were in a city in Greece or a city in Judea or wherever you were, it was all the same. You had the same Greek buildings and infrastructure and all of that great stuff that came along with being a Greek state. Easier said than done. Yeah, but he did it. I mean, he pulled it off. It was pretty incredible. And the problem, though is the country was split up over this whole thing because you had all of these Jews that were living out in the rural areas. They were more conservative. They were more traditional. I know that doesn't sound familiar at all, right? But that's how it was. These, these rural Jews looked back and they said, this is terrible. We don't want these Greeks around. We want to be our own national independent people. We want, we want to have our own freedom and, and have our own culture and customs and all of this. 
So you have this, this conflict between the conservatives and the liberals, the people living in the rural areas and the, the cosmopolitans living in the cities. And eventually this emperor comes to power and he stamps out the conservatives. He says, guys, we're going to be a Greek state no matter what. This is how it's going to be. And the conservatives living out in the rural areas say, no, this, this isn't going to happen. And so what they do is they start this little freedom fighter, rebel band kind of group. And, and it's led by this guy named Judas Maccabeus. They're called the Maccabees. And what they do is they do these little skirmishes. Um, they do guerrilla warfare. They do sneak attacks. And eventually they wear down the Greeks to the point where the Greeks have to leave the country. And they win. And they go to the temple, and they're all excited. They have this huge party. And actually, our friends who are celebrating Hanukkah, that's what they're celebrating is this, this victory of the freedom fighters over their Greek oppressors. And they set up a dynasty. The scrappy of, and rogue Maccabees. Yeah, these, these scrappy Maccabees fight off the biggest world power, and they win, and they pull it off. And so they set up the high priest and the king is now one person. So Judas Maccabeus makes his brother Simon the king and the high priest. And there's a line of priest kings that go for about 100 years. And they're called the Hasmoneans. And there were these two political parties. We've probably heard of them all, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the conservative group with all of the, the rural Jews that wanted to keep things the way that they were. The Sadducees were the more liberal group. They wanted to... Uh, I know, I know that there's two groups, and I don't often think about what the difference is between them. Yeah, so basically the way to think about it is the Pharisees were the conservatives, and the Sadducees were the liberals. Okay. And so this, this civil war breaks out. Because Would you say that the Sadducees are more urban then? Very much so. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. At this time, they were. It's blue and red state. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of could think of it that way. What ends up happening is the king comes out in support of the Sadducees. One day, there's this festival of the tabernacle. It's this Jewish holy holiday. And what the king is supposed to do is he's supposed to take this glass of water and pour it on the altar. It's the traditional way to do it. But instead, he takes the glass of water and he pours it on his feet. And what he does is he basically comes out and says, hey, I'm a cosmopolitan. I'm a liberal. I side with the Sadducees. But meanwhile, there were all of these Pharisees in the crowd with all of their supporters, and they had these like these fruits. They're called a citron. It's kind of like an apple or an orange or, or even like a lemon. It's a yellow fruit. And what they did is they started hurling these fruits at the king, and they were just pelting him with it. And he gets so upset. What he says is, okay, the soldiers are going to round up everybody here, and we're just going to murder every single person here today. I don't care who it is. We're just going to murder them. So right there in the moment, the king orders that everybody gets rounded up and killed? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know about everybody, but anyone that was probably holding one of those fruits gets a sword. Sure. Placed through there, you know. I mean, it was, it was a terrible thing. And as you can imagine, the people are livid. The Civil War breaks out. 60,000 people die. It takes six years. It's just this horrible mess. And the king, who is supporting the Sadducees, he dies, and his wife comes to power. But what's kind of interesting about the story is actually her brother was one of the chief Pharisees, so she kind of supports the Pharisees. You could kind of think of it like, you know, in English history, you had kings that supported the Protestants and some that supported the Catholics. It's the same kind of deal, right? So there's a power shift now. Exactly. It's a huge, huge power shift. And so she's supporting the Pharisees, but then she dies. And her son takes over, who supports the Sadducees. 
and people don't like that. So then he's in power for about, I don't know, a couple months or so. His next brother in line comes to the throne. So within just a couple of years, they've gone from Pharisee to Sadducee to Pharisee to Sadducee. It is a mess. Total instability. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a crisis. Now, the, interestingly enough, there's this guy. His name is Antipater. He's from a region called Idumea, which is um, just south of Israel. And actually, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones before, you know, the Last Crusade, there's that big, like, stone castle that they go to. Yeah, okay, that totally. That was where he was from. Not the castle, but that was his people, right? I'm going to choose to believe you. Yeah, please I do. don't know how to prove that. <laughs> so anyway, he's this outsider guy, and he kind of sees an opportunity. So he goes to the older son, and he says, look, I'm going to help you get through this. My wife is an Arab and she knows some bigwigs over there. I can get you 50,000 troops. Um, so if you want, all you have to do is give up a little land. Let me call some of your shots. I will help you out with this army. And the guy says, perfect. And so that's what they do. They get these troops and slowly but surely, Antipater gains power in the country. And so, yeah, so he strikes this deal, and they attack Jerusalem with this foreign army of mercenaries, and he takes the crown back from his brother. And this is all with the help of this guy named Antipater. Now, what's crazy again is you can imagine there's this tension between the conservatives and the liberals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the country is literally falling apart. I mean, there's just chaos and war and, and all this crazy stuff. And so, meanwhile, the Romans look over and they see weakness. And they say, hey, that's not a territory that we have yet. Um, you know, right now is maybe a good time to strike. So sure enough, the Romans come in. But that Annie Potter guy that we had talked about earlier, he kind of sees the writing on the wall too. He looks at the global landscape and he says, oh man, I think the Romans might be coming in. So what he does is he goes to the Romans and says to them, hey, I'll help you take this country as long as you treat me well once you, you know, basically take it over. Is he kind of like Littlefinger? It's in, exactly, in yeah, it's exactly who it is, right? Exactly. Just playing he his is own hand. totally the Littlefinger of this story. He's just looking around saying, okay, what's the best way for me to do this and get moving forward and stuff? So anyway, the Romans come in and he helps them and they siege the city of Jerusalem. This was about in the year 63 BCE. They end up killing 12,000 Jews. The Roman general goes into the temple. He strips the altar. He desecrates the Holy of Holies. It's this whole national tragedy, and it's all because of the help of this Antipater. Little finger. Little finger. <laughs> exactly. So now, what's interesting as he's made all of these shifts, he's climbed the political ladder, he's this foreigner, and he's this outsider, but now he's literally one of the most powerful guys in the country. And he's so powerful, in fact, that he says, hey, I want to give my kids a job. So he makes one of the sons the governor over here. He takes his other son and makes him the governor of a little region called Galilee, and his son's name was Herod. And you've probably heard of Herod before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's how Herod starts his political career. In the his Roman Empire condones all of this and they, says, absolutely, they love it. go ahead and take power. They love it because they look at this, this family and they say, these are people that support us. They're going to help us out. So we'll take some arrows when everything's get dicey yeah, exactly. and tense. Exactly. Right. They're going to they're gonna help us out. So the Romans love these guys. One day, Antipater's at a party and one of his rivals slips some poison into his drink. So he takes a sip of wine and he dies. Herod obviously is upset about this. He goes to the Romans and he says, look, I, I want to figure out who killed my dad and I want to kill them. And the Romans say, Herod, you go for it, buddy. And that's what he does. 
Meanwhile, if you remember the Hasmoneans, there was that line of kings going all the way back. Um, the Hasmonean king, who is the rightful heir, uh, comes into the city of Jerusalem. He goes straight for the temple. He says, hey, guys, I'm back. I know the Romans just took us over, but I'm the king. I'm the rightful heir. Uh, this is my destiny. And so he makes himself the king. So this Hasmonean is associated with the Maccabees that yeah. you talked so, about earlier? Yeah, so he technically would be like a descendant of the Maccabees. Okay. This is like 100 so years after. scrappy rogue group is Bingo. back in town. They're back in town. Fairly decent timing. Right, they're, they're ready to rumble, right? Okay. They're ready to go. And Herod looks at this and he says, yeah, this, this isn't great for the Romans, so I'm going to go back to Rome and I'm going to be like, hey guys, um, these Maccabees are back. Um, they hate you, so would you help me do something about them? And sure enough, they do. They say, yeah, here, here we're going to give you all of our armies and all of our legions and all of the might of the Roman Empire. You go back and you, you take care of this guy. So that's what Herod does. He, he goes back with this big battalion of Roman troops. They, they wipe out the city of Jerusalem. And then Herod, what he does is he takes the legions of Roman troops. He marches right down the middle of the city. And then he says, hey, guess what? I'm now king of the Jews. Wow. And that's So the Maccabees are wiped out. They're, they're done. The, the they, whole d- they were able to stave off the Greek Empire, yep. but not the Roman Empire. Yeah, exactly. And, and this whole line of kings that was like the symbol of independence and freedom, it's gone. Is anybody years. buying this Herod king of the Jews? Um, not really. But actually, that was sort of an interesting thing for Herod because he looked at that and he said, look, the people don't like me. Rome likes me, but the people don't like me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the Hasmonean princess is my wife. I'm not legit, technically, but she is, so if I marry her, then I'll be fine. That's kind of his plan. So that's what he does. Sounds real fun for her. Yeah, right? Exactly. The beginnings of a beautiful love story. Her her brother is a priest, and so she goes to Herod and says, hey, can you make my brother the high priest? Herod's like, sure, no problem. It's another, you know, sign of goodwill to kind of quell the, the, the crowds and pacify the people, all this kind of stuff. So his name was Aristobulus. So the first day that Aristobulus is on the job, he's in the temple, he's got his robes on, he's got all the vestments on, he's doing his thing, and the people love him. They're like freaking out, they're cheering his name, because what they see is the rightful heir, right? Yeah, they see their culture and their history and their identity. exactly, right? Like Herod is this usurper, he's this sneaky guy, he's a foreigner, and... Aristobulus is the real deal. And Herod picks up on this, and he hates it. So he knows he has to do something about it. So one day he goes to Aristobulus, his brother-in-law, and he says, hey, we're having a pool party at my place. Why don't you swing on by? So he does. And while they're in the pool, Herod has his buddies go over and wrestle with him. And it looks like they're just having fun, but what they're actually doing is they're taking his head and they're, they're pushing it down into the pool, and they keep doing this over and over and over until he dies. So on the outside, it looks like an accident, but everybody sure. knows that Herod had him murdered. Herod had his wife's brother yes, murdered, absolutely. who's the high priest. Exactly, the high priest. He, he just murders him straight up in his swimming pool. Now, as you can imagine, his sister Herod's wife is super upset about this. She's like beside herself. She's inconsolable, and there's conflict in the marriage. I mean, can you believe that, right? Like, it's, it's not a good deal. Meanwhile, Herod's sister absolutely hates her because she sort of sees her as a you know, political rival and all this kind of stuff. So she goes to Herod and says, oh, Herod, um, by the way, your wife's trying to murder you. And Herod 
is paranoid because yeah, paranoia runs in the family, huh? Yeah, pretty much. And and the people love the princess. They hate Herod, and he knows it. So sure enough, Herod executes his own wife. they have any kids yeah so this is where it gets even worse oh, they no. had two they, they had two sons they had more kids than just this but but two of the sons um who would have been next in line for the throne were off in rome doing the whole boarding school thing well not really boarding school but they were being educated in rome in the classical sure. education okay so when they're done being educated they have to come back to their homeland of 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 uh Judea and, and come to Jerusalem. So the day that the two sons come into Jerusalem, they throw this huge parade and the people love them because again, these are kids that are bloodline relatives yep. of the Hasmoneans. It goes all the way back to the Maccabees. They're this living symbol of their independence. And, and their, their uncle is gone and their mom is yep, gone. Yep, exactly. So they see like the freedom coming down the road. The people are cheering and clapping. They love it. And guess what Herod's like? He's like, no, this ain't happening. So it's actually really sad because Herod looks at them and they're not his kids to him. They're more like political rivals. Yeah, so what they're he, a threat. They're a threat. They're a huge threat because they're the rightful heirs and he's not. And so what Herod does is he takes them to a little town in Samaria. Actually, it was the place where Herod and his wife were married 30 years before that. And he hangs them, both of his kids. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And so at this point, Herod has murdered... His brother-in-law, he's murdered his wife, and now he's murdered his two kids, all because he was so paranoid about somebody taking his throne. So that little verse at the beginning of the gospel implies to all of the people who know the context that Herod is in power, and we all know that Herod will do whatever he has to do to be king of the Jews. Exactly. And when Herod hangs his sons, it was 7 BCE. A lot of scholars think that Jesus was born around 6 BCE. So basically, the year before Jesus is born, probably maybe even while Mary is pregnant with Jesus, Herod is murdering his own kids because he's worried about them taking the throne. Meanwhile, there's this baby being born in Bethlehem and everybody is saying, this is the king of the Jews. This is the son of God. This is the rightful heir of the throne. And so as the gospels start that Christmas story, that's the background. I never thought about the Gospels beginning with death and resurrection. Yeah. But there's some of that right there in that first yeah. verse. And it's political, it's full of intrigue and murder and all sorts of stuff. It is a Game of Thrones episode before Christmas starts. Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Hera Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, 
Miriam Samuelson Roberts, and Derek Tronsgaard, with edits by Matt and Derek. Today's episode was written by Derek Tronsgaard, with music by Dotted Lines, Johnny Mendez, Matt Wigton, Colin G. Scudder, Matt Stubbs, Hawk Silver, and Aaron Sprinkle. You can visit our website at alterguild.org, that's A-L-T-E-R, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at AlterGuild. To listen to more episodes or to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else fine podcasts are sold. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in tomorrow for our next episode. In the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter. Alter.